Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith, and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 30. I can't believe we've made it 30 whole episodes. And it's 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's the new year. 2020. It's a new year. I know. In full disclosure, we are recording this from the past. Yes. <laughs> it is. We got a lot of stuff happening for the holidays, y'all. Yeah. We got some things. So we have to do pre-record. We apologize, but when you're listening to this, it's. 2020. 2020. 2020. 2020. Are there flying cars, Barbara guys? Barbara Walters. <laughs> is Barbara Walters flying a car? Barbara Walters flying a car? Barbara Walters is going to live forever, so she will be around when there's flying cars. You mark my words. Dude, did you read that book called Ladies Who Punch? No. It's a, oh my God, it's so good. It's like a view tell-all book. What? It's so good. Barbara's a little... I wouldn't fuck with Barbara. All right. I would not fuck with Barbara. I'm into that. I'm going to have to read audible it. it. It's so good. Yeah. I'm going to read it with my ears. Read it with your ears because it is good. Yeah. So oh, since man. we haven't had our New Year's yet, I'm wondering, do you have any memorable New Year's story? Like what did you do for 2000? It's, it's, it's kind of like hard to imagine that that was 20 years ago that we had Y2K. Yeah. That's crazy, dude. It is crazy. I... Remember, everybody obviously was very, like, worried that the world was going to end. Yeah, everyone was worried about their computers. Yeah. And their watches. We just, like, all of our friends went to, like, this lake house, and we just, like, threw down at a lake house for Y2K. But I remember before I left, my mom had a jug of water just like a gallon jug of water just sitting in the middle of the kitchen table and I was like what is that and she's like it's my Y2K water (laughs) just in case just in case something happens I'm like your one gallon of water is gonna save you I'm just saying I don't really believe in it but just in case my Y2K water (laughs) my Y2K water nothing happened everybody was fine everybody was fine (laughs) what did you do for y2k um we went to my friend hadley's house she her actually her mom's house we were in college and so but we didn't want to do anything we didn't want to go out and so it was her and i my boyfriend at the time jerry hey jerry yeah and her boyfriend and now husband josh and then i I wouldn't, I can't remember if, because we used to do New Year's all together with our friend Bethany and her hus, her now husband. I was the only one who didn't stick. They used to get mad at me because like every couple years, I'd be like a new guy and they'd be like, God damn it, Sally, you're ruining the group. <laughs> but this year, you'll was, never get married. It was Jer Bear and, uh, and. Is that what you called him? No, no, no. Oh that's my God. what. I think that doesn't sound like you. No, that's what, <laughs> that's what my friends called him as like a, to be, to make fun of me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we just stayed in because we were scared of what would happen. We, I mean, not really? scared, but we were just like, it's going to be chaos tonight. Oh yeah. Like just too big of a party. Too big of a party. Tonight. So we yeah. just stayed in and drank and, yeah. and then, yeah. Woke up and lived your life like nothing happened just like nothing, nothing did woke up and lived our life like jerry had puked in her mom's bathroom because that's what happened jerry <laughs> jer jer bear should we do our quickies yeah let's do it okay i go first yep jen yeah i don't know if we've ever heard this before but my story today is about a proposal and i'm wondering how did zach propose or did he propose did you propose he did propose. Uh-huh. I wish John Stamos was there. Like, yeah. Last week. Uh, no, no, Zach did. What happened? What happened? <laughs> so we actually had been living together in sin. What? Yes. In an apartment. We lived together for a while and then we purchased a home together. I, we closed in the house. Like I had to do it on my lunch break uh-huh. and then I went back to work. I worked retail and then I off work at like nine and went back to our apartment. And then Zach was like, let's go check out our house. Let's go drive by the house. I was like, dude, we've been there like a billion times. Yeah. Like, I'm so tired. I just wanted to go to bed. And I was like, come on, but now we own it. Like, let's go drive by it like one more time. And so we went by the house and I walked in and I just kind of like went straight 
to the back of the house for some reason. And yeah. then all of a sudden I hear Zach go, oh my God. And I was like, fucking what? Right. Did like we what? just bought this house and like there's a hole in it or something. <laughs> so I like run back into the living room. And uh, when I got there, he had champagne and flowers and then he proposed i did say yes oh thank goodness i remember like calling all my friends and then everybody wanted to like meet out for drinks and i remember when i got there and my best friend anna who listens to the podcast hello anna hello anna anna was like um you're wearing it on the wrong hand (laughs) (laughs) i was like i don't know jewelry (laughs) i don't know how this shit works fine You were like, yeah, it's like a friendship. Right? Like, right? <laughs> so yeah, that was our proposal story. I love that. Thanks. That's great. So, okay. So this is uh, Daryl Hamilton of Reedley, California, really wanted to go all out for his proposal. Um, he decided to take his girlfriend up on a helicopter ride. And to- throw her out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. I do um, wish. So he was like, you know, he wanted to t- take in the beautiful California landscape. And his plan was to make us a-, a sign that said, will you marry me, that she could see from the air. And then he would, in the helicopter, would fly over the spot. And then once his girlfriend saw the sign, he would turn and propose. And so he had like a GoPro camera filming the whole thing because he was like, I'll make a video for her and of our proposal. It'll be beautiful. So everything was going as planned until he actually got into the helicopter but it turns out uh flying did not agree with his tummy oh no and he started feeling sick a few minutes into the ride and you can see this video because <gasps> it's actually up on youtube and you can see his face like starting to feel see, seem like grayish and he's like swallowing hard and then he's trying to hold it together, but then the pilot is like, oh, look out the window. And because he's at the spot and Daryl is like, okay. And he kind of squeaks out, will you marry me? And hands the, wing, the ring and she takes the ring and then he promptly turns and vomits at no! her feet. No! <laughs> yes. Oh no! Yes. And then she said yes. And like... <laughs> I mean, I just talked about old Jer Bear, but one time we went to, when we were in college, we went to this dance, like a sorority dance, and we were coming back on a bus, and he puked. This is the second puking he's story I've told He's a puker. Some people are pukers. Yeah. He's a very nice and successful and wonderful person, puker. but in college he did <laughs> drink a lot and puke, but we all did. So anyway, so, but he puked on, we were like getting off the bus, and he puked on the back of my legs, oh. and I flipped the fuck out and was just like fuck you and I ran inside my sorority house I think to probably change and whatever and then my friends that I was just talking about Josh and Hadley found him just kind of like wandering around looking confused yeah and they were like what's going on where's Sally and she was he goes I don't understand I just went and then she just left I don't understand and they still to this day will be like I just went I don't know what happened That's awesome. So I guess his girlfriend was a better woman than me. Oh, (laughs) man. So the helicopter landed at the spot where Daryl had left the sign, and they went and, like, told their parents. And he said that my dad is a former military infantry soldier who jumped out of helicopters. He gave me a bit of a hard time growing up. Um, And so his friends, though, thought it was pretty hysterical, and they convinced him to post his proposal on YouTube. And we'll post the video, but it's so funny because it's edited, kind of like a really sweet marriage proposal. Like, it's like (laughs) that the music in the background, and it's this montage of them in the helicopter and, like, these beautiful shots from the helicopter. (laughs) And then you can see his face, and you see the whole thing. It's very... Very funny. It oh like my. totally went viral. He was on Steve Harvey and every morning Steve show. Steve Harvey always getting involved. I know. And I just, love I love, them. like, I love a couple that can laugh at themselves oh, in this yeah. way, you know, and be like, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but whatever. And, um, and most importantly, they got married and that's been a success. And Daryl and his wife now have a beautiful one-year-old daughter. That's amazing. Yeah. Aww. So that's my quickie. Are you ready for my quickie? Yeah, do it. Okay. You're on Instagram. Oh, you know You're I am. on Instagram. I'm on the gram. We see it all. But have you noticed this? There's like an Instagram trend now where it's like Instagram couples. No. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> no. Um, well, they just, they, you know, they t- 
take pictures of themselves, but then they write inspirational quotes no, underneath. I don't like it. Like that. I hate it. And then there's there's like travel bloggers. Okay, so there's this travel bloggers couple, Kelly Castile and Cody Workman, and they go by the name of Pause Travel Tea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're very famous, uh-huh. um, but they post all these dangerous, like in beautiful locations, but they're like dangerous photos of the two of them doing like dangerous things like hanging off of cliffs and stuff. Okay. And then underneath it, they write, for instance, this photo, mm-hmm. this gram that made waves is of him sitting on a, the edge of a cliff uh-huh. and then he, he's just holding her two hands and she's completely hanging off the back of this cliff. No. And under it is the caption uh, by Paza Travelty. They have a check mark, by the way. They are okay. verified. Uh, the world is waiting for you. Behind the masses of those that wish to Watch you lead a quiet and sedentary life as an open, unlined canvas. We urge you to take a chance to push past barriers of negativity and oppression, of self-fulfillment, and paint the picture of who you want to be. All caps, you. Never let yourself be beat down for living your life Jesus, by those... Jesus, this is a very it's long really caption. Long. <laughs> <laughs> Never let yourself... Be beat down for living your life by those too afraid to live their own. There's a difference. I have to be honest, I have not listened to a single word you said. <laughs> I, I could not tell you what this quote says because it's meaningless. That Wait, is the problem. Okay. There's more. Okay. <laughs> there is a difference <laughs> between risking in your life. And taking a risk at having one. We know which side we would rather be on. Do you? <laughs> so this is their quote. <laughs> so they, uh, they have 160,000 followers. Probably more now. But at the time when this article was written up. Uh-huh. For The Sun. There's a ton of articles. But this one was for The Sun. Written by Lydia Hawkins. Back in September. So they probably have a bajillion followers now. Yeah. But anyway. Um, so people... I'm sure that they were, you know, in hoping to inspire uh-huh. by this post, but people were like, are you out of your fucking mind? Right. <laughs> <laughs> people were like, for what, for instance, this one person, his name is blurred out, but he was like, brave, brave is going out to fight in war, not this. What if she slipped and died? Would you still be calling her brave? Think about what you're trying to influence here, guys. And then this other guy wrote, bully girl 69. Not a great name, bully girl. So just stupid beyond belief that you guys are doing this to gain attention from people. This is the stupidity of the millennial generation. And then one person wrote under that, you both deserve to fall. (laughs) That's not nice. So um, (laughs) people were like really pissed. Like, Like this is just ridiculous. They responded you know of course they defended themselves and their love she said you know i make my own decisions and i wanted to take this shot so they were just saying like we're adults we we can make our own choices this is our choice to post this and yada 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 said it was a blast setting this up cody had a very good hold of me we trust each other entirely he said it was an amazing feeling to have this come out exactly as we planned. We are safe and sound. A lot of people are calling this irresponsible. I do. I think I I, I do agree with that. Yeah. It is irresponsible. You know, as Instagram influencers, you do influence people. If well, like young and children, <laughs> children are seeing this and they think that like, oh, the secret to getting more followers. There's another photo too where um, in April he was she's dangling off a 40 foot infinity pool. And he's just holding her by her, her elbows. He's in the pool. Why is he? Oh, safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's always dangling her over shit. So he's in this pool and he's holding her by her her like elbows. And she's hanging over this infinity pool. We'll post the pics. But um, they sound exhausting. They do sound exhausting, but also inspirational. But also, I'm very, I'm very inspired. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I don't that, know what they said, but ugh. yeah, we'll post the picture. We'll, we'll ask you guys what you think, but. I kind of 
I'm like thumbs down on this one. I'm thumbs down. Did you see? So it made me think of your brother Bobby. Bobby! Bobby, who wrote the, I think we've mentioned this before, but he wrote the Taco Bell commercial, the like um, uh, Instagram Sunset boyfriend. Hard hands yeah, the, the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about like an Instagram boyfriend. And I, I, I mean, I, I got, when you showed me the commercial, I was like, oh, I get it. Like, I, of course, there's somebody taking these pictures, but I've actually never really seen it happening in real life. And then one of our friends, another comic, Nathan Owens, did you see he posted, he's like on the beach somewhere and he posted these Instagram stories just of a Instagram boyfriend. Oh no, I missed it. And it's like, Nathan's he's like, great. it's like five minutes of just this girl directing him of like <laughs> what angle she wants him to take it on. And he's just, you know, patiently like taking all these pictures. And I'm just like, who is this for? Who is oh this for? Let's stop being so fake. It made me laugh so hard. I was like, I only want to see now the behind the scenes yeah. of these kind of photos. I don't ever <gasps> want to see those kind of photos anymore. I only want to see. I told him, I was like, you should start an Instagram account. Documentary filmmakers out there, I'm calling for a documentary where you just follow... Influencers? It, not the influencer, but the person taking the photos. Yes. Okay. All right. So that's that's this quick. I love it. That made me laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a crazy story? Mm-hmm. I'm so excited to tell this story. I've been want- looking for a story like this for a while. Okay. And so I'll, well, you'll, you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> you'll see how it is. Fucking dare you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, oh, I wanted to say first that my quickie came from a Reader's Digest article, and you can also see the video on youtube and we'll post it oh or post a link to it um and then my information for my crazy story came from an article on cnn from npr and from wikipedia Ooh. okay so in 1976 while attending stephen f austin state university in texas michael morton met christine kilpatrick they were taking a psych class together and she was talking to his roommate who was like trying to hit on her and she saw like right through his line and that Michael loved that. He was like, she's pretty smart. I want to get to know this girl. Wait, what was his line? He didn't, I doesn't say, they oh, didn't okay. say, but he was like, the roommate was like trying to feed her a line and she was just like, whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, all right, she's, she's cool. Um, so everyone liked Christine and Michael was in love. He loved her big laugh. He loved how independent she was. He loved how smart she was. And the two dated and then got married in 1979. And then they had a son, Eric, in 1983. Michael says, like, when we had our kid, I feel like you're laughing at something. (laughs) (laughs) I was. I can't. I told you I'm an inappropriate lover. (laughs) I'm trying to. Okay, keep going. What's so funny? Nothing. I was just thinking of the name Puzzle Travel (laughs) Team. No, wait, I got it. How about if we did puzzle travel tea? Pause travel tea. No, pause travel tea. Because we're positive and we travel. You know, pause travel tea. <laughs> Sorry. And then okay. 146,000 dum dums are like, ooh, 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 I know, people. dude, we're never going to be famous. <laughs> That's what people want, Jen. Am I going to have to hold you off a fucking cliff? I'll do it. I'll hold you off a fucking cliff. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. I'm reeling it back in and we're ready for this story. Okay. Wait, actually our tea. (laughs) Our pause travel tea. Our pause travel tea. All right, do you have your shit together? I do. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Michael, Christine got married in 1979, right? Oh, wow. I say I was listening. You were listening. So they got married in 1979. They had a son, Eric, in 1983. And Michael says, like, I knew, I think Christine knew that her life was going to change when she had a, when we had a kid, but I was not prepared for that connection. And they were both just head over heels for Eric. But Eric had a congenital heart defect, um, which required open heart surgery, and they couldn't do it until he was three years old. So... Those three years were really hard because they felt like they were just 
he was sick and it, something could happen at any time until they could have the surgery, but they couldn't have it until he was three or Ugh, like a, a weight limit. So he actually, he got the surgery. It was successful. And then six weeks after the surgery, they went out to celebrate Michael's 32nd birthday and Eric's successful surgery. And Michael says that was like one of the happiest nights of my life. He remembers walking across the street after dinner. They had gone to this nice restaurant and they were both holding Eric's hands. And he just, it just was like such a normal moment. But for us, it felt so special because they had been in, just had such fears for so long. And now they were just doing this incredibly normal thing together. That night after they got home, they got Eric in bed and a thing happened that happens in every couple's marriage. Michael wanted to have birthday sex and Christine <laughs> fell asleep. So she was tired. She was tired. Long day. She's got Michael. She's got a fucking three-year-old. Yeah. So at some point in the middle of the night, he says that she rolled over and kissed him and said, tomorrow, baby, I'm sorry. And when he woke up the next morning, he was still annoyed. And so he wrote her a note and put it on their bathroom mirror. What a little bitch. Right. So in the note, he said, Chris, I know you didn't mean to, but you made me feel really unwanted last night. I'm not mad. I just want to let you know how I feel without us getting into a fight about sex. Just think you'd, just think how you'd feel if you were left hanging on your birthday. I love you. So I don't know. All right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So he's like saying his feelings, whatever. But so he left for work at 530 a.m. He was the head of a pharmacy department at a Safeway grocery store near the couple's home in Austin. And at the end of his workday, he drove to pick up Eric from daycare. But when he got there, the babysitter was like, why are you here? Eric never came today. (gasps) So Michael immediately took her phone and called home because this was 19... 86. This was 1986. Got it. And there were no cell phones. So he called home and a man answered. And he identified himself as the Williamson County Sheriff, Jim (gasps) Boutwell. The sheriff refused to answer any of Michael's questions and told him to come home immediately. So he drove there in a panic. And when he got to his house, there were cars lining the street and a big yellow crime scene ribbon across the house. There were neighbors like in little clumps, just kind of, you know, chit-chatting to themselves, like looking at this. And they all like stare at him when he drives up. And so he gets out of the house. He runs to the front door and he's stopped. And Sheriff Boutwell meets him at the front door and tells him that his wife, Christine, was dead. She had been murdered in their bedroom. (gasps) So Michael was in shock. He couldn't talk or move. But when he finally talked, he asked the sheriff, was it murder? Because he said the whole way home, he'd been thinking, what could it be? Why could the police be there? What could it be? And they said, yes, they took him inside. And for the next four hours, he questioned Michael about his wife while she was dead in the bedroom. Oh, my God. So because the sheriff had found Chris's body, that's what they call Christine, Chris's body, um, had found Chris's body after a neighbor heard Eric crying and wandering around outside of the house. Oh my God. So when the police arrived at the scene, they found that she had been beaten to death with what appeared to have been a weapon made out of wood. The sheets of wood that she laid on were stained with what was later determined to be semen. And then they found Michael's note. So in Sheriff Boutwell's mind, Michael Morton was their number one suspect. And that didn't change. Like the autopsy report actually came back saying that Chris had been killed, that they thought she had been killed around 1 a.m. So that was hours before Michael had left for work. Whoa. So six weeks after Christine's death, the sheriff came to Michael's door and put him under arrest for his wife's murder. At trial, Williamson County District Attorney Anderson, speaking to the jury, he was like had tears streaming down his face and he laid out this graphic sexual scenario saying that Michael had bludgeoned his wife for refusing to have sex with him on his birthday. He told the jury that he had beat her to death and then pleasured himself with her hand. Wait, Michael is saying this? No, no, no. The district attorney. This is what the district oh, attorney the is pa- saying. Oh, the picture he's painting. Yes, at, uh, over, um, like, with her hand over her body. Oh, God. So the defense, their only argument was he didn't do it. We don't know who did. They defend him as best they could. Did they not have forensic evidence to see who the semen belonged to then? No. So there's like DNA uh, evidence that was, was not a thing. Yeah. yeah. So Shit. so there were no other suspects, and then the jury convicted Michael. Wow. The jury foreman said we felt so strongly that this was justice for Christine and that we were doing the right thing. So in February 18th of 1987, Michael was sentenced to life in prison. 
The jury, however, had not heard all of the evidence. The day after Christine's body was found, police recovered a bloody bandana found at a construction site located about 100 yards from their home. (gasps) Christine's mother had called the police and told them that Eric had been present during the murder. So he's three, almost four at the time. And he had told his grandmother that the murderer was not Michael, but a monster. He described the crime scene and the murder in detail and specifically said that daddy was not home. He said, no, it was just Eric and mom. The deputy who took Christine's mother's call suggested that maybe the reason Eric didn't recognize his father was that he had put on a full scuba suit and diving mask and then killed his wife. Scuba suit? Yeah, but Michael did have a scuba suit, but it was completely dry and stored away. It hadn't been worn. It didn't have blood evidence on it. The deputy who took the call told her not to tell anyone about her conversation and told Eric to, told her to keep Eric quiet about it. And they all said that they were confident that Michael was the murderer. And so she believed him. She was Christine's mom. And she was just like, if you're telling me that he murdered my daughter, I'm not going to bring this up. Yeah. So when police questioned the Morton's neighbors, They were told that there was a man who had repeatedly parked a green van on the street behind their house and walked off into a nearby wooded area, which is like near where the bandana was found. Police records also showed that Christine Morton's missing credit card had been recovered in San Antonio, Texas jewelry store three days after the murder. And that a San Antonio officer stated that he could identify the woman who attempted to use the card, but the Williamson County Sheriff's Department never even bothered to return the San Antonio Police Department's call. And according to Michael's defense lawyers, none of this evidence was turned over to them at the trial. So when the defense attorneys learned that the prosecution did not plan to call Sergeant Don Woods, who had become the chief investigator in the case. So he was the one who collected all of this evidence and had put it in his reports. And the prosecution was not going to call him to the stand. The defense started suspecting that the prosecution might be concealing evidence. And so they actually raised this concern before the trial with the trial judge. And the trial judge ordered the prosecution to turn over all of the reports of Sergeant Woods so that they could conduct a review. But the evidence concerning Eric's eyewitness account, the green van, and Christine Morton's credit card were all absent from the records that were given to the judge and to the defense. So the judge and the defense attorneys never saw any of that evidence that could have completely cleared him. But the prosecution also presented no eyewitnesses, no physical evidence that tied Michael to the crime. The only thing they had was that the... um, The timeline. The timeline, Mm -hmm. which is like not set in stone. Yeah. And they had that note. So they had like... But the note was polite. The note was polite and it also was like, well, why would he leave the note there if he murdered her and then went to work? But yeah, the guy who was the lawyer for Gamorton said, our defense was that Michael didn't do it and we didn't know who did it, but whoever did it stuck in and committed a really vicious, vicious murder. And that is really frightening. A jury, by convicting Michael, makes themselves safe. They solved the case, and now they can go on with their business. So while in prison, Mike only saw his son, Eric, about twice a year. And he said, I would love seeing him. I was fascinated with his every move, but Michael was becoming more distant. He was becoming less mine. When Eric was 12, he stopped seeing his father in prison. When he was 18, he actually changed his last name from Morton, and it broke his father's spirit. So 14 years into a life sentence, Michael had hit absolute bottom. Then, in 2005, the Innocence Project and the law firm Rayleigh and Bowick filed a motion requesting additional DNA testing of evidence from the crime scene, and the court granted permission to test some of the items, but they didn't allow a test on the bloody bandana. Mm-hmm. But then all of the tests that they did were either like not just not conclusive, they didn't exclude Michael, but they also and they didn't include anybody else. But the Innocence Project and this law firm kept working. And actually the guy from the law firm, Rayleigh, he had never tried 
he had never done a criminal case before, but because the Innocence Project needs someone in the state to be like a attorney of record, mm-hmm. he agreed to do this pro bono. And he was the one who five years later, they kept working. And in 2011, he argued and had the judge finally allow them to test the bloody bandana that had been found near their house. And it turned out the bandana revealed Christine Morton's DNA and the DNA of an unknown male. Wow. So they took that DNA of the unknown male and they ran it through the CODIS data bank and it matched a man named Mark Norwood, who was a convicted felon from California, who had a criminal record in Texas and who had lived in Texas at the time of Christine Morton's murder. And once they found that, they also found that that DNA also matched another crime scene. So this one was from the crime scene of a woman named Deborah Masters Baker, who had been murdered in Travis County. And Baker was, like Christine Morton, bludgeoned to death in her bed, and her murder occurred two years after Christine's death while Michael Morton was still in prison. So in 1988, when she was murdered, Deborah Baker left behind a grieving husband and two little children. 23 years later, Philip Baker and their grown children are like now coming to grips with the fact that their wife and mother didn't have to die at all because if they would have caught this guy in the the first place or even gone after him, then Michael Morton wouldn't have been in jail and this guy would have. So, So Philip Baker said... You know, we all got pretty angry when we began to discover they probably could have had this guy in 86 had they looked. But instead, Ken Anderson, who was a prosecutor, simply focused on Mike Morton. We're all extremely angry at him. So the other bombshell occurred when the appeals court also ordered that the defense attorney and the sheriff's files were completely opened. And that is when they found that all of this evidence that had been withheld. And... Michael Morton was released on October 4th, 2011, after spending nearly 25 years in prison. He was officially exonerated on December 19th in 2011. So Michael went to live with his parents in Texas after being released from prison. And then he, in 2013, Mm -hmm. he married Cynthia Mae Chessman, who he met at his church. And he's now close with his son and his daughter-in-law and his granddaughter, who is named after Christine. And he says, I've never seen a more perfect child. So despite decades of estrangement, friends and family say that it is remarkable how much he and Eric look alike. They dress alike and even walk alike. Life has come full circle, said his son, Eric. I really love him. The same day as his formal acquittal, Michael's attorneys asked the judge to order a court of inquiry into the actions of the district attorney, Anderson, who was by then a district court judge in that same county. And after a two-year investigation on September 23rd, 2013, Anderson resigned from his position as a district court judge and then was found to be in contempt of court. He was sentenced to 10 days in county jail. He was fined $500 and ordered to perform 500 hours of community service. And he agreed to give up. He was fined $500? I know it doesn't sound... It's not much. It's not anything really. But the fact that... A prosecutor was fined money at all. Yeah. I mean, that he they were even allowed charges to come against him. I mean, it's so rare. Yeah. Because usually, no matter what a prosecutor does, they have what's called prosecutorial immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you don't want somebody in that position to face charges for decisions they make in their job. Okay. But when it's done in this way, which is like completely lying and completely withholding evidence that caused a man to be in jail for 25 years for a crime he didn't commit, which was obvious that he didn't commit it, then yeah, fuck him. Yeah. Of course, Anderson, so he had to give up his his law license. So while, and Anderson has not ever publicly acknowledged any personal wrongdoing, In court, he said he couldn't remember the details of the case, but that he and his family had been through a lot of false accusations over it. He said, I apologize that the system screwed up. I've beaten myself up for what I could have done different, and I don't know. Fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. So after the plea agreement was announced, it was publicly revealed that the Williamson County District Attorney, Jana Duty, agreed to authorize... (laughs) Sally, grow up. (laughs) I'm sorry. Grow up. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was so close to being done. I just couldn't get past it. Duty. <laughs> oh my god. I'm pretty sure this is like a gag on Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. For children. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Okay. So she <laughs> agreed to authorize an independent review of every case that Anderson ever prosecuted. And if you want to learn more about cases like this, and if you want to support the Innocence Project, which does amazing work, you can go to innocentproject.org. And that is actually, I found a lot of the information about this case was on that website too. Wow. Do you know that there's an Innocence Project office right here? Yeah. 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 There was one when I, in my law school, there was a, a chapter and, and they, I mean, it's just amazing the work they do. It is amazing. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah, get, look it up. Get involved. Look. Shit is fucked up, man. It is. And I do want to. Dear Sally, <laughs> are you ready for a love story? I, I am, Jen. I'm very ready. Great. This love story comes from a wonderful article um, from People.com by Alexander Saslow. And there's also a nice article written by Mark Ellis in uh, GodReports.com. Okay. Um, you, are you there often? No. This I just like came upon this article okay. and then I clicked on the link and it was on GodReports.com. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. This is the story of Terrell Wolf. I think it's pronounced Terrell. It's T-Y-R-E-L. Yeah, I would say Terrell. Terrell Wolf and a Joanna Marchin. Okay, so in two th- in the year in the year 2000 <laughs> I miss Conan. Okay, uh, so in the year 2000 when Terrell was just a seven-year-old boy living in Midville, Idaho, he was um, helping his parents put these shoebox gifts together for children in the Philippines. Um, the project was run by Operation Christmas Child. Okay. And what it was was it's where you fill shoeboxes with school supplies and toys and things like that. And yeah. like a nice note, you, sell them, uh, you send them to underprivileged children in oh, another nice. country. It's very nice. It's so, so nice. sweet. That's such a great way to teach kids about giving and yeah. the world. And yeah, great. Especially during um, Christmas time, for sure. So as part of the project, each shoebox packer would put a photo of themselves in the box just to kind of tell them like, hi, this is from me. My name's Terrell. And so he put a photo of himself and in it, he was like wearing a cowboy outfit. There was like a mountain background, not like actual mountains, but like a, an, oh, like, uh, like a studio. Yeah. Like a of, Sears or old yeah, mills or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. A mountain. <laughs> so he gave the shoebox to his aunt and she dropped it off at the church. And then like a whole, he never thought about it again. Yeah. You know, he just something he did when he was a child. And then 10 years later, Almost 10 years later, in 2009, when he was 21, Mm -hmm. he got a Facebook friend request from a girl named Joanna Marchin. He didn't know who she was, so he didn't accept the friend request. You know you know you do. I know you Uh, do. So two years later, she sent him another request in 2011, and he was like, why does this person keep... friending me you know do I know her and then so he messaged her and was like excuse me how do I know you she replied that hey I'm the one that you you sent this shoebox to me when um, we were children I got this shoebox from you and it like meant so much to me and he didn't know remember anything about it he's like I think what and so he asked his mom about it and his mother, Denise, reminded him, like, remember when you were a child and we we sent these uh, shoe boxes for charity? And, like, it meant so much to her. She actually wrote when she was a child and yeah. got the box. She sent him a thank you note. Uh, but it just got lost in the mail. He never received it. So she told People Magazine, like, I was curious as to know what he was like now. You know, was he going to college like me? They started talking over Facebook and then they figured out that they had a lot in common. They were both really into Christian music uh-huh. and religious faith. Okay. So a lot of God stuff. Yeah. Super into God. That's great. That's great. That's great. I see why it's on... That God. was on... Why it was on GodReports.com. GodReports.com. <laughs> I was like, I know it's GodSomething.com. <laughs> so... After a year of corresponding online, they ended up deciding to meet in person. So Josh had actually saved up a bunch of money when he was when he was in high school because he worked for his dad as a trail and bridge builder for state parks. So he had all this money, and 2013 he decided to use it to go fly to uh, Kazan City 
um, a suburb of Manila in the Philippines. And he, uh, that's where she lived and um, flew there for 10 days. He that's said, awesome. Did yeah. you know that I used to live in the Philippines? No. What? Yeah. You've lived so many lives. I know. You're a woman of mystery. I when know. did you live like there? When I was a child, when I was from when I was six to when I was nine, my dad was in the Air Force and we were stationed there. Wow. And we went to Manila a lot. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. I get it. I can picture it. You can picture it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, dude. Okay, so he tells People Magazine, I knew I was taking a big risk. I had never traveled alone, let alone to a foreign country where before, and I was meeting people I didn't know or even knew really existed. So he was super nervous to go there, but he said, when I finally got there and saw her, I had to punch myself a couple of times because I thought it was a dream. I was immediately attracted to her. Aww. I know. And she felt the same way. <laughs> what if he was like punching himself in the face? I know. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so he said, like it opened his eyes to see the way her family lived it. You know, it made him realize like how different people live in different yeah. parts of the world because her house is you know he comes from a nice guess a well-to-do american yeah. family and her house is 10 by 19 feet and mm-hmm. they have like very little furniture and all eight family members sleep on the floor of one room yeah so it's just like very different right so he said that you know he gained a completely different outlook so Following her family's tradition, the two weren't allowed to become a couple until he got her father's permission. Yeah. At the end of the visit, they were both heartbroken to say goodbye to each other. Yeah. You know, as the 10 days were over. He said, it was one of the hardest goodbyes I ever had to say because we didn't know the next time we'd see each other. I told her I was going to do whatever it takes to come back to her. Um, so after he... He went back home to Idaho and they continued to Skype and Facebook message. Mm-hmm. And then um, Wolf ended up going back to the Philippines for, but this time for a month long trip. Okay. And then while he was there, he asked her father for a hand in marriage and he gave permission. But Joanna's mother, Roselle, um, she said that she wanted the couple to wait. She said that they were too young. Yeah. I mean, they were pretty young. They're pretty young. I mean, her mom was young. Her mom was only 46 years old. Oh, jeez. Louise. <laughs> yeah. And so, so she, you know, and I get it because they were young. They were so, young. They've only really been together for 10 days. 10 days. <laughs> yeah. And a month. And a month. I guess. Terrell Wolf didn't want to give up. And after convincing his dad... His, his dad's name is Ivan. His dad is only 44. These parents are baby. Jeez. Um, asked his dad to buy a plane ticket as well. And in May of 2014, they all took a 10-day trip to Manila to meet their whole family. Yeah. So he says that when he was there, um, Joanna's mother went up to his father and said, quote, you are a sign from God that we are allowing Terrell and Joanna to marry. If you had not come, we wouldn't have let the relationship continue. I wonder why. Well, maybe they just were like, what is this? Who is this guy that yeah. just appeared out of nowhere guy? who probably wants to take our daughter to America yeah. or whatever? You know what I mean? Just the... Maybe she was just wearing, he was wearing her favorite color shirt. Yeah. She was like, I love that. You're it. Um, (laughs) So, so the family celebrated while they were there by throwing an engagement party for the couple. And so they moved to the United States because apparently Terrell's job was just very, like a very good job and he didn't want to give it up. And he was making enough money to where he could support both of them, but then also send money home to her family. Yeah. Yeah. And so on August 19th, Joanna had an interview at the embassy in Manila and got approved for a visa. And then by September 4th, they started a life together in the small town of Midville. Unfortunately, her parents couldn't get a visa, so they were unable to attend the wedding, but they participated via Skype. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God for Skype. And so they married on October 5th at um, Terrell's parents' ranch. Uh, They had about 100 guests, and Terrell wore a barong, which is the traditional shirt worn by Filipino grooms. Yeah. That was very nice. And so they now live in their own house in Midville, which is a quarter mile from his parents. He travels a lot to work and she likes to travel with him. So she's having a great time traveling across the country and getting to see the States. 
she says, it was a big change and adjustment for me. I was raised in the city and now I'm living in the country with much less people and more space, but it's a beautiful space. So then they plan on going back to the Philippines to have a second wedding so that her parents could be there. But in the meantime, they made a commitment to pack a shoebox every holiday season starting this year and include a note in the box telling their story. Oh, so yeah, so I they've already that. started doing that. That way they, they can see, you know, so people can see that, you know, a love story came from these yeah. kind of connections. And so they went to Operation Christmas Child. Um, They went to the facility to see how this works. Go behind the scenes and see like how these packages get sent out and who receives them. And they found out that 113 million shoeboxes get sent to 130 countries since the project launched in in 1983. That's how many were sent out. So it's just kind of crazy. It was like a needle in a haystack. Yeah, just like a random. she got his box. Yeah. And that she remembered him and took the time to like look him up i mean that's just yeah yeah. i love that love story yeah he said we don't want to give the like when by putting their story in the shoe boxes he says we don't want to give them some kind of fantasy but we do want to show them that we care and want to share our love we both feel so blessed and grateful that operation christmas child brought us together oh la 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 so sweet great Okay, should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah. All right, so my something dumb is that everybody's back to work today. Yeah. I mean, I'm anticipating that is what is happening. Because <laughs> actually man. when we're recording this is it's the like, last day of work. But uh-oh. but yeah, but that's always dumb. That's yeah. like the, the letdown from the holidays. Yeah. But something I love is I... Well, one, first, I love my library app. Have we have we talked about this before? No. About how if you have anywhere you have a library, you can get an app from your library, use your library card, and you can get free books and audiobooks from your library. So I need to do that. It's such an amazing resource. Yes, go the Cab Libraries has have a million books. They have so many great reads. You can get new books. You can get whatever. So nice. I listen to a ton of audiobooks, and I have discovered a new author that I really love. Her name is Deborah Crombie, and she writes a mystery series that is set in Scotland. Ooh. And I just really love them. They're so good. And that's easier because you could read it because I can't listen to Scottish, because I can't understand. Them. Oh, well, this I'm listening. Okay. These are audiobooks, so you can read or listen. Is it in Is it in Scottish accents? Or they it is, really but heavy? it's not. No, it's not heavy. Okay. It's very understandable. Okay, good. Yeah. So I highly recommend that, Deborah Crombie. And also, if you're looking for another author, my favorite of these like Scottish mystery writers is a woman named Anne Cleves. Everybody I talk to, I'm like, I so recommend her books. They're so, 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 so good. Awesome. So that is my thing that I love. Down. Cool. So my thing. <laughs> oh, do you think cool, it's cool? I love books. The books are great. <laughs> no, I really am. I'm going to get those recs from no, you. No, whatever. It's fine. No, I really no, it's cool. I am. Uh, you do whatever you want. I love books. So my thing that's dumb is, so uh, Sally and I haven't really talked about this on the podcast, but we have been doing, um, uh, and my friend Kristen, who also listens to the podcast, she's the one that started me on it, but we've been doing Weight Watchers. Oh. We're watching our weight. <laughs> so we've been doing Weight Watchers, which uh, uh, honestly, all in all, I think it's great and I love it and it's been pretty easy, but... But I've just started getting, having these nightmares. What? Like, of a nightmare that, like, I ate a whole cake, and then I wake up in a panic, like, I don't have any points for that (laughs) shit! No, I don't have any points! (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) and I just, I'm like having all these food anxiety nightmares about eating stuff, like, beyond, like, my control, or like, just having a conversation with a friend and eating, and then looking down and being like, oh no! I, I, that's too many points. <laughs> I don't have it. So that is very dumb. Like, I think that's a sign that I might need to, like, relax a bit yeah. on it. But good thing I've lost four pounds. That's awesome. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's something. It's something. Well, um, you don't have a lot of weight to lose, so. Well, I... Well, you, I, what you want to, but you're not yeah, like a big well, person, so. But, um, and I also love the piece of chocolate that I just ate. Real chocolate, not monk fruit chocolate. Yeah. Real chocolate, because we need to like chill a little bit. I yeah. think it's important to take care of yourself and be mindful and be healthy and like 
you know, eat well and exercise. But I think that if you find yourself getting to the part where you're having stress dreams about accidentally eating too yes. much food, that is a sign. Pump the brakes. Yes. Reset. Yeah, I heard this really amazing thing. I'm probably going to butcher this, but it was just these women um, who are nutritionists just talking about when you put when you put value on food, like this is good food, this is bad food. Yeah. Then then you're just like doing yourself a disservice because when you eat something bad, you're you're mad at yourself and yeah. then or when you eat something good and you're like virtuous, like either way you're going to swing but you're going to swing hard the other way. Like if you're like right. depriving yourself, you're going to swing hard and then overindulge or if you overindulge, you're going to swing hard the other way and either way it's not healthy. So yeah. like let's stop putting these values on food, eat the good food that makes you happy and makes your body feel good. And let's quit, like, beating ourselves up over that shit. Yeah. And also, like, I know that guys are like, oh, love is I lost four pounds. But the thing is, is the amount of time I've been doing this over a month. Yeah. And the, like, amount of time it takes and work it takes. And then I'm sure that no one has even noticed <laughs> that I've lost four pounds. It's so ridiculous. The whole thing is so ridiculous. Yeah. It's like... I wouldn't notice if my friend lost four pounds right. because that doesn't matter to me, my friend. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I'm not like looking at my friend and thinking like, did they Ooh, gain or, you yeah, know what I mean? Really, yeah. So just the idea of putting yourself on a point system for so long just to lose like a couple, just don't. I'd say don't. I'd say <laughs> do what makes you feel good about yeah. yourself. Yeah, okay. Do what makes you feel good about yourself. Don't worry about other people. Nobody yeah. else is worrying about you. Exactly. Is that so sounds so it sounds horrible, but it actually is like freeing once you really think about once you realize like nobody cares what size pants you wear except no. for you. And if it is fine with you, then fuck it. I think it was it was Madison Airseg. She's a comedian. We were, were doing a show together recently and she said something, having worn the same jacket two nights in a row or something. And I looked yeah. at her and I was like, name one thing that any of us in this room wore in the last month. Yeah. Can you remember one outfit that any of us wore? Yeah. And no. Like, it's like, that's the thing is you... I can't remember people's outfits because I don't really... Unless it's like something really cool and amazing. You know what I yeah. mean? Then I'm like, cool, sure. But I'm not... I'll never look at a person and be like, didn't you wear that last week? Right. Because I'm not, nobody thinks in those terms. So it's like, we need to stop giving ourselves such a hard time yes. about like... I can't wear this on stage. I wore this last time on stage. Right. Nobody cares. Nobody cares in the best possible exactly. way. Nobody cares about the little things that you are focused on on yourself. So like spend your time and your energy on things that are positive and that you enjoy and that make you happy. And don't worry about what other people think because exactly. they actually aren't thinking about you. In the best possible in way. In the best possible way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I think that's our... Uh, that's our show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. And uh, if you care about us and what we're wearing, why don't you uh, do us a fave and leave a review if you haven't. And thanks for telling your friends about us. And thanks for listening. Okay. And get out there and do something dumb for love. Dumb, da-dum, dumb, dumb, dumb.